0: Welcome to the May 20th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the Colorado Department of Transportation's campaign to curb drugged driving ahead of this Saturday's rescheduled pot rally. In an effort to reduce DUIs involving marijuana, CWE introduced the slow speed chase, which uses two vehicles decorated with pot education messaging, stimulating. A, uh, excuse, me, excuse me, simulating won't be stimulating at all. Simulating a sedated police pursuit. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, I could appreciate the creativity being used by CDOT here. Do you think it will be effective?
1: Well, when cars are going slowly enough that you can read the message as they go by because they're so stoned, it's not very impressive. And we know from the OJ case that slow chases are just not that entertaining.
0: That's a very good point. Todd Shepard, editor of Complete Colorado, thank you very much for joining us. Um, Like I said, I appreciate that CDOT's trying to be... uh, uh, creative here, but I don't know if it's not going to have a little bit more backlash because it's maybe a
2: little too creative. Backlash is exactly what I would describe it at. Let me give you a really quick story. 1990, I'm a freshman at Boston University. There's a conservative president, John Silber. He's he's a conservative firebrand all across the New England states. He created a policy that said, if you have a guest come stay with you, then only men can stay with men and women can stay with women. And the liberal activists on campus said, oh, look, John Silber finally created a policy that Discriminates against heterosexuals and for homosexuals. And I think this is almost a case here with the C DOT that what they're trying to prove, they may be sending the wrong message. In I almost get the sense that if you looked at this real hard and thought about it long enough, the message might be stoned driving while not okay. Please watch me when I say that. While not okay is not as dangerous as drinking and driving. Mm-hmm. Pentate Tate, attorney QTAC Rock, a long state lawmaker.
0: Uh, what do you think of this? Is, is CDOT making,
3: uh,
0: uh, I guess, uh, is there a tempest in a teapot here, pun firmly intended?
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, with all due respect to CDOT, this is too cute by half. Uh, all I have to say is that DUI includes intoxication or under the influence of marijuana and be done. We, we don't need slow cars riding around with people walking beside them. Or, this is just crazy. Um, and I think it dilutes the message. And I think Todd is right. I think it gives the impression that this sort of DUI is better than drinking DUI. And it, it just, the, the, it's too cute and too silly.
0: Ran on the panel today, Justine Sandoval, community organizer. Thank you very much for joining us. First time on the show. So when you saw this campaign come up, what were your first thoughts?
4: Well, I appreciate CDOT's efforts and what they're trying to do, but I think they're completely missing the demographic they're trying to reach here with this campaign. It's kind of silly, and I think a lot of, like, the education outreach that they're trying to do and the education money should really be spent on training police officers and people who are actually enforcing these laws within the community. Mm -hmm.
0: An historic lawsuit between homeowners that lived downwind of Rocky Flats and the operators of the facility was announced this week. The $375 million settlement would be shared between the 15,000 homeowners involved who claimed that their property values decreased due to plutonium releases at the facility. Patty, uh, Westward has been covering quite well uh, Rocky Flats for decades. Uh, this was an enormous uh, settlement to be announced. It still needs to be approved, but um, it's, at least it's reportedly both sides are happy. And, uh, but it was, what, about 26 years in the making, 27 years in the making? Your thoughts?
1: Well, who would think you would talk about this story for this many decades? We, um, in 1989 was when Rocky Flats, the nuclear weapons plant, 16 miles upwind of Denver, was raided by the FBI. And the grand jury that investigated the evidence seized then wanted to indict not just Department of Energy officials, but officials from Rockwell International, which ran it at the time, for environmental crimes. Instead, the Justice Department sealed a deal in 1992 which was less, which cost Rockwell less than the bonuses they'd been paid. And Rocky Flats never made another plutonium component for triggers. It's been cleaned up. It's supposed to become a refuge. The year after that raid was when these property owners, who'd been complaining for decades about the secrecy at Rocky Flats, the problems at Rocky Flats, filed this lawsuit, That was 26 years ago. Many of the plaintiffs have passed on. The case went to trial a decade ago. Judge John Kane, who was a good judge, presided. The decision came out. It was almost a billion dollars then. That was thrown out because of jury instructions. Now we have this settlement. The biggest outrage, though, is not just how long it's taken, but the fact that Dow, which first ran Rocky Flats, and Rockwell, which ran it the second time, they won't be paying the fine. The fine is going to be paid by the feds.
0: Wow. That's a a great detail that I think a lot of people are probably going to miss. They think, okay, finally big companies are paying this off, but it's not. You're right. Yeah.
1: I mean, the people deserve the money, but it's coming from the federal government.
0: Wow. Uh, Todd, you've been uh, uh, a fantastic investigative reporter, especially with your work in Complete Colorado. You see a work like this, where obviously there's a big deal, there had to be a lot of digging, federal investigations, the whole
2: bit, but then taking this long to have some sort of settlement. uh, What are your reactions? Well, I think I'm going to shock my partner to the right here, Patty Calhoun, when I say, you know, I could almost look at the $375 million judgment and say that that's not enough. Basically, when you look at the time, there are a lot of choices that people lose by having lost property value over the course of 26 years. People use their home, home values to finance college educations. As Patty said, a lot of these people are deceased now. Um, the, the decisional value that was taken away from these people for so long is, is what really is the, the key factor here. She mentioned the $1 billion judgment that was thrown out. Still, uh, I, I really do think you could make an argument that $375 million, not only should it compensate those people, it should be at a level that it sends a significant message to the government, in particular about the secrecy that was always imposed in those cases. Now, of course, it was Cold War era, so you can argue for more secrecy back then. But still, when it comes to the safety of the citizens you're supposedly fighting for, that's what really gives you the heartburn and, and makes you feel so empathetic for all all of these 15,000 homeowners in this case. Penn, you're our esteemed lawyer at the
0: table today. Uh, were you surprised by the amount? Were you surprised by the length of time it took?
3: And do you think it will be approved? Uh, justice delayed is justice denied, and that's what's happened to all of these homeowners. And Todd and Patty are both right in terms of the impact on their lives versus the the. I will say minuscule payment they'll receive uh, so far after the fact and frankly this is one of those deals that that really upsets people because you've already got and we're seeing it this political season tremendous distrust with government and now clearly you have government finally entering into a settlement and and they're going to say this settlement is not an admission of guilt. Yeah, it is. Everybody knows that. Uh, And so uh, it's just another instance where you keep hearing for 26 years, trust us, trust us, trust us, everything's A-OK, and clearly it isn't. Um, and, And so... You know, it's going to be interesting to see what the repercussions are. And I will say my former colleague, Wes McKinley, is now vindicated because he said for years there was an issue here and nobody believed him. Um, but, but it's just sort of tragic. I mean, you, you've got the right result. Yeah, it'll be approved. It'll be upheld. And they'll go forward and implement the settlement. But the sad reality is uh, it should not have taken this long. And the other piece of this is all the workers who worked at Rocky Flats over the years were impacted. I I mean, one of my neighbors in Boulder um, ended up dying, and they eventually concluded it was based on some of the exposures he experienced when he worked at Rocky Flats for most of his life. So it's it's tragic, it's unfortunate, and hopefully uh, our government um, and the contractors they work with sort of live and learn, but we're all at risk until they do.
0: Justine, this is... uh a big part of at least recent Colorado history, but it's one of a variety of things we see. We see the like big Gold King mine issue. There's a lot of things where there's a big problem and little people, you know, just you know, a small group of homeowners, landowners, things like that, fighting the good fight. When you see a decision like this, perhaps less money than was deserved, uh, taking well over uh, well over two decades, does it take away from other people looking to fight those good fights? To take take that energy away from other battles we might see in our community?
4: Definitely, and I agree with all the panelists here. It's maybe a little too little, too late in this case. I've watched this case my whole life. 26 years it's went on, and we've discussed the Rocky Flats saga since I was a little girl. And now, as an adult watching it come full circle, it is kind of disheartening to see that, you know, people would take so long and fight so hard. And there are so many communities fighting all types of um, environmental injustice in the state, and it makes you really wonder, like, you know, is the fight worth it? Are we going to get to an endpoint that is really justice for people?
0: Mm -hmm. So you should think about the neighborhoods like Globeville and Elyria that could be generations before they really see change.
4: Oh yeah, definitely. I actually grew up around that neighborhood and we've spent lots of time testing soil, contaminated soil, and we're still discussing how we, um, you know, resolve a lot of the impacts of the um, pollution there that went on for decades.
0: And Right before they expand the highway. Exactly. The Republican U.S. Senate primary took more dramatic turns this week. The candidates faced off at two different debates, including one at the Denver Post, where Jack Graham was a focal point for his opponents. Meanwhile, a press release issued on Tuesday from Secretary of State Wayne Williams' office revealed he didn't learn of certain problems with petitions until after a news report, even though staffers were aware of the problem. Uh, Todd, again, I go back to your investigative uh, news experience here um, Staffers knew of an issue, and one of the issues we're talking about is a person who's deceased on a petition. So, again, if we're we're not in the state of Illinois, usually a problem. So uh,
2: you see all this kind of come out. What's your reaction? Uh, My reaction is that... uh Petitions aren't the same thing as ballots, and obviously the Secretary of State has a lower threshold for examining those, and in fact they just, you know, the typical method is to sample a portion and to sort of, you know, take that sampling and apply it to the number and then say, okay, it passes or it doesn't. Uh, As to these employees that knew, I don't know, and maybe someone at the table can fill me in, did they know that there was actually a deceased, uh, you know, did they know that level? I will say that, you know, the petition... Process by its nature, um, it just has to be loosey goosey. You have to have, uh, you know, almost a thousand of the booklets. They get taken all over. They get scattered all over the wind. It'd be impossible to stop one goofball, uh, you know. And I'm not saying that that's what happened here, but you know, there are always going to be goofball signatures like Big Bird, like we saw on who was the Denver um, Kerry Hauk. You know, and so, um, you know, you're always going to have these kinds of invalid signatures. So does it rise to this level of scandal and indignation at the secretary of state's office? Not for me, but I think it certainly shows that there have to be there needs to be extra time after the ballots are submitted to give the secretary of state time to not only look at this, but there has to be ample time for the challengers to challenge so that we don't have this rush to the Supreme Court like we saw with Ryan Frazier.
0: Penn, do you think it's time for uh, some uh, different rules involved? I mean, because the Secretary of State's office, really, they're just trying to uphold the rules that are in the book. They don't have any, uh, they can't say, well, we're not going to do this or whatever else. They don't design them. It comes from legislature. Do lawmakers need to change it?
3: I, I think lawmakers need to take a look at this. Um, you know, I, I sort of have a different take on this. I, I do think that there is a problem or at least a concern in the Secretary of State's office if line staff knew about some issues regarding invalid signatures and that information did not float up, particularly given the tight time frames under existing law to validate signatures, approve petitions and certify someone has hit a threshold to make the ballot. Um, That information has got to move through the Secretary of State's office much more rapidly. But, But because of the Ryan Frazier situation, this situation and a number of others It may be time for the Secretary of State, and I think he's in the best position to do this, to sort of look at how the election laws are structured and how he has to manage them or his office manages them and perhaps make some recommendations to the General Assembly and say, you know what, some of these time frames are too tight. We need to start some things earlier now. The the downside is going to be... God help us. Campaigns may start earlier because the petition process <laughs> has to start earlier. But if if that is the the solution to having some comfort uh, that people are legitimately on or off the ballot, uh, maybe that's what needs to happen now.
0: Justine, as we look at the Republican primary right now for the U.S. Senate, there's not really a clear front runner. They've different debates have had different focal points. Uh, Several of them have had different problems, where Ryan Frazier is still waiting if he's going to be officially votes counted. John Kaiser has been in the news for similar issues. In fact, Jack Graham was a focal point because he's the only one that didn't have signature issues, and him and Daryl Glenn. Um, how much fun is Michael Bennett having during all this going right now?
4: Well, we were Michael Bennett was looking at a really tough race here when we were initially discussing the Senate race, and I think Michael Bennett's really lucky out right now because there are so many issues with these candidates. I mean, you know, you have candidates who failed uh, to make that ballot with signatures, collecting signatures. You have John Kaiser and his dog um, and all of these talking points coming up. So it's really interesting. I find it interesting that, you know, This is the party that talks about voter fraud and is really worried about voter fraud. And yet they have an opportunity here to discuss uh, voter fraud and issues and maybe bring it, you know, bring the conversation up of like, how do we stop this? How do we in Colorado go about um, having a better system for collecting signature petitions? And yet nobody's done that yet. So it's kind of surprising to me. But I really think this is definitely an advantage for Michael Bennett right now.
0: Uh, Patty, six years ago when Ken Buck was uh, in his Senate primary, and he won the primary, but he had an infamous, and we know the roots of it uh, here at this table, um, high heels moment, uh, and that dogged him throughout the general election. Not the only thing, but that was a big deal. If Kaiser wins the, the U.S. Senate primary, is this going to be his high heels moment?
1: Uh, Well, I wouldn't say he's going to win this primary. I mean, that's a tough one right now. He didn't show up for the debate last night. He didn't own up for... He knew there were problems with his petitions, and he took so long to acknowledge it and respond, which you would have to think... the candidates have to respond. Even if they say, gee, that sounds horrible. I don't know. I'll check into it. Mm-hmm. He you know, he just told us he was on the ballot. Let's give Wayne Williams uh, a compliment for at least once he found out about the problems and why staffers didn't think he needed to know. He owned up to it. They've been doing a good job of dealing with it. Let's remember he's also not the career politician that Robert Blaha says he is. He's only been there. You know, this is his first term. And I think he and his very good assistant, Lynn Bartles. I mean, Mm -hmm. they have been stepping up and acknowledging it. I think we will see some proposals for change.
0: Well, in a unanimous decision on Thursday, Cinemark was found not to be at fault in the 2012 Aurora movie theater shootings. The jury concluded that the theater owner could not have predicted an incident like that would occur. There are more lawsuits filed on the argument of foreseeability that set that yet to be heard will probably be starting to appear in July. Penn, uh, this... uh, I don't think a whole lot of people thought this was going to go the way of the folks who brought the lawsuit. Um, do you agree with that? And what do you think this the impact this case will have on those future
3: cases? I'm not sure it will have much impact on the future cases, but I, along with others, um, it, it was uh, an unspeakable tragedy. Uh, the person who was responsible has been sentenced to, what, 3,000 years in prison, something mm-hmm. like that, and will never see the the, the, the light of freedom, nor should he. Um, but I don't think the movie theater was responsible or culpable in this. And, and this lawsuit, in many ways, I understand the grief. I understand the tragedy. I understand the desire to get some sort of... Compensation for a sense of justice for the families beyond the incarceration of of, of the criminal who did this, but I, I worry about the message this sends um, to businesses in terms of you know do you have to be a fortune teller do you have to have a crystal ball? How can you foresee uh, even in the, the this arena? which movie is likely to generate some lunatic showing up and misbehaving versus another one. I could argue that certain Disney movies or others have enough violent themes that it might generate some kid doing something bizarre. I think it's just too unforeseeable. I don't want to live in, a, in an America where you have armed security everywhere you go in public. Um, that is equally frightening, and, and we'll talk about, I'm sure, Concealed Carry again, Uh, another day in terms of whether, you know, merchants should be able to to exclude people who who bring concealed weapons on the premises. Um, So I think this is the right result by the jury. I think most people agree with that. Um, And I know it's not particularly cathartic for the the victims and the families of the victims, but I think this is the right result from a legal point of view and from a societal point of view. We just can't hold every merchant responsible for every, what I think, unforeseeable, uh, opportunity it might give someone to, to misbehave badly.
0: Justine, out here in the West, I think we have kind of a little more sense of independence and independent responsibility. When you look at the community's reaction to this decision, what do you think it is?
4: Oh, well, this case for me, it's it's really hard because you want there to be some type of justice for these families beyond the verdict that came out in the case. But really, like you know, Penn was saying, this is the society we live in now, this is the reality, and we can't predict these things that are gonna happen, and we can't predict tragedies. I mean, are we gonna go to the movie theater every time and go through airport security to see a movie? Is that really the world we wanna live in? And so I, I agree with the judgment in the case, but I think it really opens up a lot of questions of how we're gonna move forward as a society and how we're going to address these type of issues, especially with having freedoms in the West and being able to feel safe in a movie theater. Mm-hmm.
0: Patty, does this decision uh, damper the future efforts we're probably
1: going to see surrounding this case? Well, first of all, let's say no one wants to wait in line for three hours to go through <laughs> a security to see any movie. So let's hope TSA cleans it up and uh, we'll go with that. There's a big difference here between, say, let's look at the Rocky Flats case where there was willing culp, you know, these, the outfits that were running it, they knew what was leaking. They kept it secret. They knew what was happening. In the case of this movie company, Cinemark, there is no way they could have known what was happening. And everyone's right. We wish we could find an answer to something so horrific. We wish we could find an explanation so that we could stop it in the future. But no one could have predicted what this guy was going to do. You couldn't have protected against it. Do you protect the whole mall? Do you protect the parking lot? Do you protect those movie theaters? So it's not a surprise. It's heart-wrenching that the decision came down in the exact same space where James Holmes was sentenced.
0: Todd, wrap it up for us.
2: Um, I think everybody here at the table has expressed adequately, and, and I think uh, Penn did a great job of saying that, you know, just because you agree with this settlement or, or n- just because you agree with this opinion doesn't mean we feel anybody in Colorado feels any less sympathy for what anybody has gone through. But I think you could see pretty clearly where public sentiment was when the De- Denver Post editorial pages basically said, we can't even, we can't understand how they could be found culpable. And then, uh, f- I hope I'm right about this, I'm pretty sure I am, but I think even the far left editorial pages of the Aurora Sentinel uh, editorialized that the, the theater shouldn't be held liable. And so when you have those ki- those kinds of voices saying that, um, I think you could pretty well understand that the the community sentiment was in the same vein. Mm-hmm. We all feel sympathy for everyone affected by that tragedy, but uh, holding them liable would have, as Pence said, you know, created, Created this police state almost at every entertainment venue and function ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's time for a favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, and remember, if you like us to share your Disgrace of the Week or say something nice on air, tweet us or post us on our Facebook page. We actually have some entries this week, which we'll have right after, as we always do, start with Miss Calhoun.
1: Well, this is not a disgrace, but it is a sad thing. Anyone who followed the Homeless Diamond, which was this great project, Joe Carabella, a local realtor, involved the homeless in playing at Sunny Lawson Field just down the street from us, would have a game with homeless players playing softball just to show them what some ordinary things about life, bring people together. It was a great, great effort. Went on for five years, and this year they're taking a pass. So just thought about it as I drove past. Too bad the homeless diamond won't be back this year.
2: They're here, Todd. Well, we've talked a lot about government secrecy at this table today. Um, So, the Department of the Interior and the Obama administration's uh, still obviously, I I don't want to say it's a lie, but this notion that they would be the most transparent administration in uh, presidential history. Uh, Yesterday, there was a story in the Durango Herald that uh, Representative Lamborn was trying to get information, uh, numerous interior documents, some of them which relate to the Gold King mine spill, and he said the documents were redacted such that it looked like they were documents from the Manhattan Project. It was just black ink everywhere. We've got to stop the secrecy at some point. This is government for the people, by the people. It shouldn't hide secrets from the people. Penn.
3: Well, we have now um, legalized the use of marijuana for medicinal and recreational purposes. And that, since that's been accomplished in Colorado, for the life of me, I cannot understand why we still need a 420 event. Um, I am. I, 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 um, I, I continue to be perplexed by this. I, I would tell the people who promote it, you, you've won. I think it's just and reasonable to keep holding these festivals every year, and I'd I wish it'd stop. Well, remember the, the anti-prohibition movement for
0: alcohol also have their holiday. They call it St. Patrick's Day, <laughs> but it's the same sort of event, <laughs> it's the same different thing. Justine, your disgrace of the week.
4: Um, my disgrace of the week would be um, Department of Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox and Mayor Hancock refusing to meet with the community that's going to be impacted by the I-70 expansion. I believe that they've done a lot of outreach, but there needs to be more, and there needed to be a meeting with the community to voice their concerns.
0: And our Disgrace of the Week from one of our viewers is from Phil Kirschman, who said the people who hired Colorado Education Commissioner Rich Crandall are a disgrace since Crandall resigned this week, just four months after he was put into uh, put in the office. Uh, let's go say something nice about somebody. Patty? Oh, that was a
1: good one, Crandall. Uh, I'm going to stay in this neighborhood. The Five Points Jazz Festival this weekend. Let's remember the incredible heritage that Five Points had. Once the Harlem of the West, amazing stars who came here went, people who stayed here when they couldn't go into the hotels downtown just celebrate the heritage while five points is still recognizable before gentrification <laughs> continues.
2: Uh, I've been taking acupuncture for the last six months for some chronic fatigue problems I have. My doctor Scott Richardson, but what I really admire about the guy is he's reaching out to the state to try to let, uh, so state medical programs let them know that acupuncture really does work for pain relief. He's trying to create a nonprofit that will donate free acupuncture sessions uh, to veterans that have PTSD and chronic pain. Uh, that's the kind of outreach that's really needed at this time. It's a great medicine that works and it needs that kind of uh... education right now in the community we have
3: beat up on them enough so um, i'll say kudos to the city of denver i really (laughs) Uh, appreciate the fact that they did the gentrification study because it is an issue impacting not just Denver but the entire Front Range community, and you can't address an issue until you begin to understand it. So, I think the study is a good first step, and I commend the city for undertaking it and publishing the results uh, of their work.
0: Well, and that's a great segue. We'll be talking about that very topic uh, for our post game, which is a web exclusive uh, production. So, if you're in- interested in that, be sure to check it on our Twitter and our Facebook feeds. Justine.
4: I want to give a shout-out to artist Anthony Garcia and the artist that worked with the Birdseed Collective. They just finished up the dumpster project and the Sun Valley projects, and they went in and beautified a lot of the dumpsters around there. So I just wanted to give them a shout-out for bringing art into a lot of underserved communities in Denver.
0: Anthony's been a big friend of the station. He's a great guy. And our say something nice from our viewers is from Gabrielle, who wants to join uh, Patty in giving a shout-out to the Five Points Jazz Festival happening tomorrow on Welton Street from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. That is all the time we have tonight, so thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for our CIO postgame segment on Twitter and Facebook. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.